Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Uh, you know what? I'm I, just I, so I, heated because of what, what you're telling me, because I, I do not want to live in a world <laughs> in a world where a craft dinner is the fucking substitute to a good macaroni. You're putting powder. No, no, no. Mac, macaroni, as you call it, is a substitute for candy. God. <laughs> oh, my God. Go to... Go to Italy. If you ask, open some no, 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 no. If you ask any Canadian, would they rather have macaroni or KD? They will tell you KD is the best. It is superior. It is the fucking national treasure, and it is the greatest dish in Canada. I'm Mason Dixon, a Habs fan stuck in Leafs country. With my co-host, Corey, a southern beauty trapped deep in the bayous of Louisiana. With over 2,500 kilometers of separation, we still managed to come together to give you Habs Nightly, your hub for Habs content. While I don't know what a kilometer is, I do know Habs hockey. Don't let the 10-year age gap or distance fool you. We bleed Blue Blanc Rouge, and we're known to serve up hot takes along with our unique charm. Join us every Monday and Thursday for Hockey Talk, Ref Rage, and your daily dose of Southern ignorance. Only on the Hockey Podcast Network. Katie is the superior macaroni and cheese. Get the fuck out of here. You put Um, ketchup on your fucking macaroni, you nasty kid? Yes, I fucking do. This has been Habs Nightly. You guys have a great night. DraftKings Sportsbook is not only my favorite sportsbook, but also America's top-rated sportsbook. I love using DraftKings Sportsbook. It is easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors, and nearly limitless, limitless ways to get in on all the action. My friends and family have been loving DraftKings Sportsbook, and I know you will as well. Listen to this great offer. DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you courtside with a chance to turn $1 into $100 inside credits. That's right. Pick any basketball team that is still in contention, bet $1, and if that team wins, you win $100 inside credits. Don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds on promotions on baseball, hockey, and so much more all week long. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. 
Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice to win their next game, and if they do, you will claim $100 in free credits. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Wager paid out inside credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Welcome to New York. This is is the Devil's Devil's State of Mind Mind Podcast, Podcast. brought to you by the Hockey Hockey Podcast Podcast Network. Now here's your host, host, Neil Villapiano! Devils fans, it is your boy, the host, Neil Villapiano, and welcome back to another exciting edition of the Devils State of Mind podcast right here on the Hockey Podcast Network, the best place, as always, to get the most up-to-date news, topics, discussions, everything you could think of, and so much more about your new Jersey Devils. I hope you guys are having a great day, a fantastic day, wherever you're listening to this podcast episode. As always, thank you guys so much for taking some time out of your day to check these episodes out. I greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate it. Folks, we have some things that we must discuss here on this edition of Devil's State of Mind podcast. I mean, we always have things to discuss, even in this tough time where there isn't much really going on. There's always rumors and other things going on. The first thing we're going to discuss here today is we are going to be giving you some updates on, number one, a team actually getting a multi-year extension to be an affiliate with the New Jersey Devils. We're also going to give you an update on the New York Islanders picks that we acquired back when we traded Kyle Palmieri and Travis Zajac when we traded them away um, because we eventually got there. We also have a little bit of interesting note to talk about with a certain player from the Minnesota Wild. And and we are also going to be doing a quick preview of the 2021 Stanley Cup Finals. As at the time I'm recording this on Sunday, and you guys will hear this episode on Monday, it will be just prior to the first game of the series. And finally, finally, ladies and gentlemen, we have another special guest that is joining us here on the Devil State of Mind podcast, and we'll introduce him in just a little bit, but we have a bunch to get to today. So let's not waste any more time and drop the puck. So we're going to kick things off with a little bit of news that involves the Devils, and it actually involves their ECHL affiliate, the Adirondack Thunder. The Adirondack Thunder announced back on Thursday that they have signed a multi-year extension that would keep their affiliation agreement with the Devils. The Thunder play in the East Coast Hockey League, or the ECHL, and I would 
to try to help some of you understand in case you don't really know, uh, the AHL is the is obviously the first tier. If you, you want to use baseball terms, think of the AHL as basically the AAA. You know, it's just a one step prior to the NHL. And then the ECHL is the step before that. So that's kind of like double A pretty much. Um, so some of the guys on the within the Devils organization play for the Adirondack Thunder. Uh, this upcoming season will be the fifth season for the Adirondack Thunder as the Devils affiliate. So obviously that's you know a, a great thing to, you know to continue to have an ECHL team. I remember for a long time uh, there was the, I mean the closest team to the Devils and they were actually an affiliate of Devils for a little bit and then eventually became the Flyers affiliate was the Trenton Titans um, and they no longer exist. So there's that. But the Devils have. Obviously, the Adirondack Thunder, they've been the affiliate for the last couple of years and have done very, very well. And, you know, look, again, that's that league is for, you know, particularly really young guys that are still you know, going to take a pretty long time to at least get an opportunity to play in the National Hockey League. So it's it's certainly, you know, another level of professional hockey, if you want to put it that way. But obviously, you got to go from the Thunder, and then you got to come to, well, now the Utica Comets, and then the New Jersey Devils. That's pretty much how it works out. So that's a good thing to obviously, you know, renew it and, you know, keep that affiliate going because it's very important to have more and more pathways for these players to get to the NHL. So that's the first thing. Adirondack Thunder signing extension to continue to be the ECHL affiliate of the New Jersey Devils. So the next bit of news that's very, very important that I think you guys should should know is the update on the New York Islander picks that we acquired back when we traded Kyle Palmieri and Travis Zajac um, to the Islanders earlier this year. Because the New York Islanders just lost in the Eastern Conference Finals to the Tampa Bay Lightning four games to three, the first round pick from the Islanders will be number 29 overall. It technically is 28, but due to Arizona forfeiting their first round pick and Several, I think their first and second round pick, um, it's actually the 29th pick in the NHL draft. So the Devils officially have the fourth overall pick and the 29th overall pick in the first round of this year's NHL entry draft. The second round pick they got from the Islanders will be the 61st. Again, would have been 60th, but because Arizona had to forfeit their pick, it's 61st. Also in the NHL draft. So the Devils have four, for, four you know, first two round picks basically they have two firsts and two seconds um so that's pretty much what they have going into the first couple of rounds of this draft and because the Islanders did not advance to the Stanley Cup finals the Devils conditional fourth round pick in 2022 will remain a fourth round pick in 2022 had the Islanders gone on to the Stanley Cup finals that pick would have become a 2023 third round pick so again obviously would have been great to get a third round pick instead of a fourth yeah but again we add another pick so we have continuously have a handful of picks going into this upcoming draft and it'll be interesting to see what the devils do with it but again the new york islanders unfortunately did not reach the stanley cup finals as they once again were knocked out in the third round by the tampa bay lightning so that's obviously a very frustrating thing, especially for a lot of people that I know that are Islander fans, uh, especially my friend Kim Moise, I feel I feel for her because it's very frustrating to back-to-back years you get one step away from going to the Stanley Cup Finals and you get knocked out. And 
It was very tough because you you got it all the way to game seven, and that's a frustrating thing. One positive you could obviously look at is that the Islanders were able to win the final game at the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum, which is great. And so now they will get ready to play in the UBS uh, Center or Arena um, starting next season. And I will definitely go out there when I get the opportunity to do so. And also, um, you know, my thoughts obviously go with, you know, our former Devils players, Kyle Palmieri, Travis Ajak, Andy Green, Corey Schneider, uh, Lou Lamorello. Um, you know, obviously it would have been, you know, from just a, you know, just a nice little heartwarming thing. It would have been nice to see those guys get an opportunity to at least compete. And I remember seeing Matt Barzell after they lost game seven, um, he was doing his press conference and he actually ended up getting pretty emotional and started crying a little bit when he was talking about guys like Andy Green, that they were just trying to give them an opportunity to at least try to win a Stanley cup. And, you know, Andy Green, unfortunately has only made the cup final once in his career. And that was back in 2012. Same thing with Travis Zajac, um, Kyle Palmieri. Well, you know, he still has a handful of years left. Uh, obviously it's frustrating for him. Corey Schneider, um, you know, he hasn't played all year. He's had a very difficult year as most of you already know, but, you know, still, it would have been nice to see that. And Lou Lamorello, obviously, he's done a phenomenal job, not surprisingly, with, with what he's done with the New York Islanders. And, you know, there are going to be some questions going into next season as to, well, what do the Islanders need? And I think, I don't know how much of a difference, you know, having Anders Lee would have made, but it's it's something you got to keep in mind. And also, you have to remember, Kyle Palmieri will be a free agent. Same thing with Travis Zajac, um, you know, some other guys like that. And It'll be interesting to see what the Islanders do moving forward, but it's certainly a very frustrating, a very gut-wrenching uh, way for your season to end, losing in a tough um, game like that. But, you know, look, for the fact the Islanders have made the, the conference finals the last two years uh, is certainly a, a tremendous achievement. And look, they just, they face the team that cheats. I mean, let's just call it like it is. The, the Tampa Bay Lightning, seven, what was it, $14 million over the salary cap. Um, just because they were able to find a loophole with, with Kucherov's contract. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, that is what it is. Um, so the Tampa Lightning will have an opportunity to try to win a second consecutive Stanley Cup, um, which hasn't been done since, you know, obviously 16-17 when the Pittsburgh Penguins did it. We'll see. The Tampa Lightning are going to, able, going to be able to do just that. Um, but we shall see about that. But again... The first round pick that the Devils got from the New York Islanders will be the 29th overall pick in this year's draft. And the second round pick that the Devils got from the Islanders will be the 61st overall pick in the upcoming NHL draft. Now, the next thing I wanted to discuss was, I mean, if you want to call it a rumor, you can call it that. But it was actually from a guy that's been a guest here on the Devils State of Mind podcast, Alex Chauvency from the Hockey Writers um, he covers the New Jersey Devils, and he shared this from an article from The Athletic, and I wanted to kind of read it to you guys. Um, the Basically, it's a sliver about Kevin Fiala, um, the talented winger for the Minnesota Wild. And right now, he is a restricted free agent, I believe. And from what we're hearing, talks have not really started or haven't really been going well at the moment between the Wild and Kevin Fiala. And this was kind of the excerpt that we got from the article that, that Alex shared. It says, Fiala is a pending restricted free agent with arbitration rights. It's believed contract talks really haven't started yet, which could be a sign Billy Garrett, general manager of the Minnesota Wilds, 
at least testing the waters to see if Fiala could be part of a package that lands a center. The reality is as fast and explosive as Fiala is. There are questions in the hockey world as to whether you can win with him. He clearly drives Evanson's bananas at times with his propensity for turnovers, an example of losing his composure. But there's no denying his skill, speed, and desire to be the man. So that's something very interesting. Now, Alex also, you know, he shared his thoughts a little bit on Twitter with it. And you could follow Alex on Twitter at Alex C underscore THW. He said, if Kevin Fiala is available, then the New Jersey Devils should be all over that. This is so silly, though. He has 94 points in his last 114 games, an average of 67 points per 82 games. I think you can win with him, dot, dot, dot. And then he um, shared another bit, a um, little bit of, uh, I guess you say some statistics, and it says, does Fiala turn over the puck too much? Maybe, but he's an absolute tank in transition. You just kind of feel with whatever warts he has because he's really, really good. So here's the thing. When you think about it, he does turn over the puck a pretty decent amount. But at the same time, at the same time, let's think about it this way. Kevin Fiala has something that the Devils uh, also have a lot of, and that is speed. And that's something that a lot of teams talked about with the Devils this, this past year. We have a lot of speed. We have a lot of talent. And we are constantly looking to try to upgrade, particularly the top six, and trying to get impact players. I've talked about it several times on this podcast. We need to add impact scoring players. We really do, because that's something that we're lacking. That's one of the things we're like, we're, we're lacking a bunch of different things, but that's a, that's a big thing. And I said it, that we need to acquire an impact player on, in all phases. We need to Im get an impact score, an impact defenseman, and to an extent, an impact goaltender to help out Mackenzie Blackwood. That's what we need. That should be the main focus of this team moving forward. If Kevin Fiala really is available in a trade, I do agree with Alex that the Devils should 100% go after him. You have to understand that when the, when the Nashville Predators traded Kevin Fiala to Minnesota, a lot of people were still, you know, thinking, well, you know, Fiala's a good player, but he's nothing to write home about. And then he went to Minnesota and he has lit it up. And even this past year, with obviously having some success playing alongside, you know, Kirill Kaprizov, he really took his game to another level. And I don't really understand, except the small little things, I guess, from a character perspective, I don't really understand why exactly Kevin Fiala is in trade talks. Now, I don't know exactly what type of center and what type of players the Minnesota Wild are really looking for. But I feel like that the Devils could package a deal with maybe a prospect or two and maybe a pick or two that they could acquire a Kevin Fiala. And if they do, they immediately upgrade their scoring on the top six. And you can add them to either Jack Hughes' line or Nico Kishir, it doesn't matter. I feel like he would end up being our number one left winger, but that depends on the coaching and how they want to orchestrate things. But if Tom Fitzgerald sees an opportunity to take advantage of something, I think he should do it. Do I think it's going to end up happening? I think most likely the Minnesota Wild are going to end up getting an extension done with Kevin Fiala. And obviously they're also trying to figure out their extension with Kirill Kaprizov. But if by some chance Kevin Fiala is still available, and especially at the, tr at, at the draft and then, you know, deep into the off season, I think the devil's got to make a call and see where they can go with this. And I wouldn't be surprised, especially when we have the expansion draft right after that, the entry draft, I feel like that that's where the Devils could possibly make a lot of their moves because of everybody being active and everybody being that way. And I think that 
to an extent, not fully, but to an extent, Tom Fitzgerald might be waiting to see, you know, once the Stanley Cup Finals is over, where everybody is and where everything goes. Because I think once everybody's settled into getting ready for next year, it will be a little bit clearer as to where we go from there. But certainly, if Kevin Fiala is available, the Devils should definitely try to go acquire him because he is a really, really, really good player. Very quick, very good playmaking ability, and particularly a really good scoring winger, something that the Devils need to add to this team if they want to take the next step. So that's something to keep in mind moving forward. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time to preview the 2021 Stanley Cup Finals featuring the Montreal Canadiens against the defending Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, this was a type of series that a lot of us expected considering the playoff format. Maybe not these two teams necessarily, but maybe more certainly the Tampa Bay Lightning. But when we looked at how the format of the playoffs was going to go, we knew that there was a really good opportunity. We were going to get a series that maybe in a normal year we wouldn't get. And as a result, we have two Eastern Conference teams facing off against one another in the cup final. And we had three of the four teams remaining when we got to the conference finals, uh, three of the four teams were Eastern Conference teams. That Now, to me, that doesn't necessarily mean that the Eastern Conference is a better conference than the Western Conference. It just pretty much means that's just how things have gone in this playoff year. So you knew that there was a good chance we were going to get a relatively unique Stanley Cup uh, final. And we got a unique uh, conference final, particularly with Montreal taking on the Vegas Golden Knights, East versus West. Um, first time ever. Uh, that they've ever faced off in a playoff series and probably moving forward, unless we keep this format, probably the only other time we're going to see them play against each other is if they face off in the cup final. I mean, that's pretty much how it's going to go, but this is going to be a fun series. I really do. Because again, the first and most obvious thing is that we have a Canadian team in the cup final. I mean, we have an opportunity for the first time in nearly 30 years to see a Canadian team win the cup and, Interestingly enough, the last time a Canadian team won the Stanley Cup was the Montreal Canadiens back in 1993 when they defeated the Los Angeles Kings. Since that time, um, we've had a couple opportunities in the past. Uh, I mean, Calgary obviously had a chance in 2004, but could not get it done. And it's really just been tough. And we've always talked about, look, the biggest reason why it's been tough for Canada to get the Stanley Cup back in its, in its home country simply because you have only six, seven teams in Canada, and then the majority, you know, three quarters of the NHL is in the United States. So those odds are not necessarily in Canada's favor, and it's been very, very difficult. But we had an opportunity to, to see this happen, and that's a great thing. I mean, that really is an important thing. And again, we knew that we were going to at least get a Canadian team in the conference finals because you know, obviously the first two rounds you had to play uh, teams that you had faced throughout the year within your division. So the Vegas Golden Knights were the first team that Montreal had faced that was not within their own division. It was the first time all year that they were playing against them, which I think made it kind of an interesting thing. It really did. So that's something to, that's something to keep in mind. And that's something that really is kind of a, a fascinating thing. But let's talk about how the Canadians got here. So basically what we're going to do is we're going to go how the Canadians got here, how the Lightning got here, and then I'm going to give you guys my predictions for the Cup Final and who's going to win it, how many games, you know, Conn Smite, all that stuff. 
Mikdal. Let's jump into it. So the Montreal Canadiens started in the first round against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And the last couple of times that those two teams faced off in the playoffs, whoever won that series ended up winning the cup. So I think that's something to keep in mind moving forward when you get into this final because, hey, Canadians, four wins away from winning the Stanley Cup. Is it, is it, a, is it a coincidence? Maybe. Maybe it's not. But you look at this first-round series, and it was really interesting because it started with John Tavares getting hurt in game one, but the Canadians won that game. Maple Leafs proceeded to win the next three, and they were just dominating, and it just looked like, yeah, the Canadians are done. That's pretty much it. And then the Canadians fought all the way back and were able to win this series in seven games in Toronto, mind you, winning game seven, three to one, to advance to the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And that whole Canadian division was with upsets because we all expected probably Toronto versus Edmonton. And we ended up getting Montreal versus Winnipeg. Montreal coming back from down three games to one to win that series. And the Winnipeg Jets sweeping aside the Edmonton Oilers. So that was kind of the first big surprise. And you said, wow, really impressive. And then you went into the second round against the Winnipeg Jets. And again, there was a lot of doubt with regards to the Montreal Canadiens. Could they actually do it? Could they actually beat this Jets team who's riding the high, beating Edmonton? They've had a couple of days off of rest. Um, they're a little less banged up than Montreal. But Montreal came in a kick butt right from the start. They won game one, five to three. They won game two, one nothing. Mind you, first two games were in Winnipeg. Then they dominated game three, five to one, and then won in overtime in game four, three to two, to completely sweep the Winnipeg Jets. So it kind of reminds me of when the Islanders a couple years ago, they swept aside the um, they swept aside the Penguins, and then in the very next series against the Carolina Hurricanes, they got swept. That's pretty much what happened here. The Jets ended up sweeping the Edmonton Oilers, but then proceeded to get swept by the Montreal Canadiens in the second round. So at this point, the Canadians have now advanced to the Eastern, well, we aren't going to call it Eastern Conference, the Conference Finals, the semifinals. And they were facing off against the high-powered Vegas Golden Knights. And again, I think a lot of people looked at it and said, this might be where Montreal's run ends because, yeah, they do have Carey Price. And when Carey Price is on in the playoffs, he is one tough cookie to beat. But you look at how talented and how powerful Vegas is, and you know how much pressure they have to try to get back to the cup final and, and finally get it done, that they were going to be able to do it. And that did not happen as, you know, Montreal lost the first game 4-1. to one. All right, that's the expected. They steal the home ice advantage by winning game two, three to two. They won game three, three to two in overtime. Josh Anderson scoring two goals on two very bad turnovers by Marc-Andre Fleury. But the Golden Knights bounced back with a two to one victory in game four. So you go to game five, series is tied at two. The Canadians know they win this game. They go back to Montreal with a raucous crowd behind them. One game away from going to the cup final. Not only do they win, they dominate game five in Vegas winning four to one. So they've already won twice in Vegas, which is really impressive. And then you have a back and forth battle in game six, but the Montreal Canadiens, particularly our Terry Lekkinen, scoring on a great pass on a one-timer, beating Robin Leonard, and the Montreal Canadiens win game six, win the series four games to two, and advance to the Stanley Cup finals for the first time 
since the last time they won the cup in 1993. So that is how the Montreal Canadiens got to the Stanley Cup Finals. And really, honestly and truly, the biggest reason why has to be Carey Price. We have seen Carey Price for over a decade carry the Montreal Canadiens franchise. They've had chance after chance, and they just couldn't get it done. And now they stand just four wins away from winning the Stanley Cup. And even though I do think that Carey Price is definitely a Hall of Famer, even if he doesn't win a cup, if he wins a cup, if he wins the cup this year, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, no question. And he will be up there as one of the greatest goaltenders in Montreal Canadiens history. And obviously, you're talking about the likes of, you know, Patrick Waugh and Ken Dryden, guys like that, uh, that have won multiple Stanley Cups. So I'm not saying that Carey Price will become the greatest Montreal Canadiens goaltender of all time. But he'll certainly be up there as one of the greats if he's able to finally win a cup. And I do hope that he does because he's one of those guys that really deserves it. He's been one of the best goaltenders of this generation. He is a phenomenal playoff goaltender, and he's going to be locked and loaded and ready to go for this cup final. So now we shift over to the other team that moved on to the cup final. And it is, unfortunately for a lot of us, the defending Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, again, look. We just talked about it. Tampa Bay, whether you like it or not, is a very, very good hockey team. They have talent galore, and they got to the cup final fair and square. Well, maybe not fair and square because, let's face it, the fact that they are well over the salary cap but found a loophole so that they didn't have to pay Kucherov throughout the year, but they can bring him back when he's fully healthy for the playoffs, that kind of shows you just what the NHL really wants to have happen. But you go into the first round series and you're taking on your Florida rivals in the Florida Panthers. And I actually thought that the Panthers had a legitimate shot of winning the series. And the Panthers put up a good fight. But at the end of the day, the Lightning were too powerful as the Lightning were able to win this series in six games, moving on to round number two. And in round number two, they took on the Carolina Hurricanes. Again, another up and coming young team with a lot of excitement and Unfortunately, the Tampa Lightning were too much for Carolina as even though most of the games were close, you know, two to one, two to one, three to two, six to four, um, you know, obviously two to nothing. The Lightning just really struggled to score. Uh, excuse me. The Carolina Hurricanes really struggled to score throughout the majority of that that series. And the Lightning were just able to get it done and win that series in five to move on to the third round of the Stanley Cup playoffs in which. They faced off against the exact same team they faced one year ago in the conference finals, and that is the New York Islanders. And I will look at this series and say this was probably the best series of the entire postseason because if you look at the drama, if you look at the dislike between these two teams, you will understand. And the Islanders won game one, stunning fashion, two to one, and they had all of a sudden they had the momentum and they got the home ice advantage. Lightning won game two, four to two. Lightning then stole back the home ice advantage, winning game three, two to one. Islanders were able to win game number four, three to two. And then the and then we had the pivotal game five in which the Islanders were just completely blown out of the water, losing eight to nothing. And in the Barry Trotz, Lou Lamorella era, that might be the worst loss they've ever suffered. Because if you think about how great the structure is, of the New York Islanders, particularly defensively, 
for them to have a game like that was so out of character and so surprising. It was, it was crazy. And a lot of people thought, well, that's pretty much it. The Islanders are probably going to lose game six at home. But you have to remember, this is the Nassau Coliseum. This is Fort Never Lose. This is an arena that is one of the toughest, if not the toughest place to play as an opponent. And the Islanders fought tooth and nail and won game three in game six in overtime, three to two on an Anthony Beauvillier goal. And the series was forced to a game seven. And even though the Lightning scored just one goal in game seven, the Islanders could not score even that. And they ended up losing that game one to nothing in game seven. And the Tampa Bay Lightning move on to the conference finals, uh, excuse me, the Stanley Cup finals for the second consecutive year. And will have a chance to win their second consecutive Stanley Cup. And that is how the Tampa Bay Lightning got to the cup final. So when you look at this series coming up, Stanley Cup Finals, you know, it's going to be tough. First game is, if you're listening to this on Monday, it is today, uh, June 28, 8 p.m. And if this series does go seven, the furthest day, the, the last day of this uh, this past year, this past season, will be July 11th. So, you know, that's something to keep in mind as we get closer and closer to really technically the beginning of the offseason once the Stanley Cup Finals is over. But you look at this series, and I believe the Lightning and the Canadians have played in the playoffs before. They played a couple of years ago, and the Lightning won in four or five. Um, you look at this, and I think it's pretty easy to say if you know you're just looking at it from a simplistic standpoint. You could easily look at it and say, "Oh, well, the Lightning are just way better than the Canadians." But the Canadians have the juju going, and when you have the juju going, there isn't much really the other team could do about it. And Carey Price is is in the other net, and the Lightning. While they have a great offense, Carey Price can easily steal a game or two in Tampa and really get themselves going. And once he's on his game, again, very little you can do. So with that being said, give me the Montreal Canadiens to win the Stanley Cup in six games. I think that there's going to be a moment, maybe it's going to be game five, who knows? There's going to be a moment where the Montreal Canadiens will have to steal a game in Tampa. And if they do so, they're winning the series. Unless Tampa obviously steals a game back in Montreal. But I'll tell you this right now. If you're Tampa, you want to make sure you go up two games to none going to Montreal. You do not want to go to Montreal either tied at one game apiece or, God forbid, down two games to none. And that's something that if you're doing that, you are going to be in serious, serious trouble. But I think that the Canadians... They, they have an entire country behind them. They have many other teams in the NHL behind them. This is an opportunity to finally bring the Stanley Cup back to Canada, and I do believe that the Montreal Canadiens will do it. I think that they're capable of doing it. They're going to work hard. They're going to grind. They're going to frustrate the hell out of the Lightning, and Carey Price is going to make some big-time saves to win them some hockey games. So give me the Montreal Canadiens to win in six, and give me Carey Price, not surprisingly, to win the Smite's playoff MVP because he has just been phenomenal. He is their franchise. He has been the big reason that they're here, and he will continue to show why he's the big man on campus with Montreal in this cup final. So once again, give me the Montreal Canadiens to win the Stanley Cup in six games with Carey Price winning the Smite trophy. And that is my Stanley Cup finals preview slash predictions. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let's move on to the second part of this edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast. We had another great guest on. Uh, he and I became pretty good friends over the last couple of months. 
Uh, he had the opportunity to go to the Prudential Center and check out a game between the Devils and the Bruins. He actually runs a podcast that covers the Bruins and the Boston Celtics. He's a good Boston guy. And again, thank you so much to this guy for coming on and speaking with us. We talked mainly about the Bruins and talked about also some rumors that could involve the Devils and the Bruins. And we just had a really good time. And again, thank you so much for coming on. So it is with great pleasure that we welcome on Andrew McKenney to the Devils State of Mind podcast. Uh, please go check him out on their podcast, Bal Balcony Chatter. Great podcast. He's a really, really good guy. And it was just a great conversation to have with him. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this great interview with Balcony Chatter's own Andrew McKinney. Yes, Devils fans, we have another guest joining us here on the Devils State of Mind podcast. Yeah, you know, you see, you guys have been asking for some more guests and, you know, I I'm delivering, you know, I'm, tr I'm doing my best here. And uh, this guy actually, uh, he and I came into contact, uh, I think it was about probably two months ago, especially when the season was going on. And he actually did go to a Devils game at the Prudential Center this past year. Um, he is the host of Balcony underscore Chatter, Balcony Chatter podcast which basically talks about you know majority boston bruins also talks a little bit about the boston celtics as well it is with great pleasure that we welcome on mr andrew mckinney andrew welcome to the devil's state of my podcast first and foremost how are you doing today i'm good man thank you so much for having me on i'm excited i'm ready to talk some off-season stuff or whatever you got in store but you know everything's going great and i'm looking forward to it we are certainly excited to have you on with, on this episode here today. So let's just jump right into it. And we're going to mainly talk about, obviously, the Boston Bruins, one of the only teams that somehow the Devils played really, really well against. And I'm sure it was frustrating for you, Andrew, and certainly confusing for myself that considering how tough of a season it was for the Devils, that out of all the teams, they seem to have the most success against the Boston Bruins. In your in your opinion, what do you think was the reason why the Devils had so much success or better yet, why the Bruins struggled so much against the Devils? I mean, that's a good question. I think that it, there's a number of factors that kind of go into it. And I think for me, what I've noticed a lot from, I'm not even just saying the Bruins, but for some reason, Boston, they tend to play down to teams that are lower in the standings and the Devils have a good you know, young core there on their team right now. So it's not, I, I don't want to say that they're a bad team. You know, mm -hmm. obviously their year didn't turn out the way that I'm sure a lot of Devils fans wanted it to go, obviously. But right. um, I think that they're not an easy team to play against. You know, they can put up a fight against anybody in the league. And this year we only happened to see seven other teams, you know, play eight, eight teams. And, and uh, I think that with that, you also get some good matchups as far as like, the the devils figured out what it, what they needed to play against the bruins when they knew they were going to see them six seven eight more times however long however many times that they had left against them so you know they definitely put up a good fight and again i think it comes down to that that young core kind of really playing to their strengths and and the bruins playing down a little bit on a few of those games and i don't know if it was more so to you know, save some energy or what it was, but obviously mm -hmm. you can't play down to anybody in this league. I don't care if it's Buffalo, you know, the some of the worst teams in the league, but, um, yeah. you know, I think that it just, you got to play hard against every team and, and, you know, treat every team with respect because no matter what they are an NHL team, I, I know that a lot of us make a lot of jokes about Buffalo being bad, but, you know, mm -hmm. they're still an NHL team. They can put up a fight against any team 
on any given day, they're not going to win all those games, but you know, they can still go out there and do it. Yeah, no, it's a very good point. And uh, you know, going into the season, uh, you know, first talking about it from the Dallas perspective, I mean, there just wasn't very many expectations, you know, very young team, youngest in the NHL, 11 different rookies. And, you know, we, there were some teams we faced this year, you know, particularly like Washington, where we just could never seem to get it going. And we always struggled against them. But whenever we played Boston for reasons that, you know, like you explained, and even reasons that I can't really understand, the Devils seem to have a lot of success. And I think that, I think it gave them some confidence going into next year and moving forward, facing a good team like the Bruins, a team that I personally thought was, you know, very capable of going all the way and winning the Stanley Cup this year. But you and me both. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, I was very impressed. And, you know, obviously they made the biggest acquisition of the deadline, and that was acquiring former New Jersey Devil and former Hart Trophy winner Taylor Hall um, at the deadline, as well as Curtis Lazar for uh, Anders Bjork and. I can't remember exactly what the other uh, asset they gave. I think they just gave a second or third round pick. Is that correct? Yeah, it was just a pick and, and a, you know, a pretty, I would say a pretty high level prospect for, for what Anders Bjork is. It's a great addition to Buffalo. So I think that, you know, although the Bruins did sort of steal that trade, mm-hmm. they got a good player on the, on the other end. So. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think Anders Bjork and he, honestly, Anders Bjork finished, the regular season on somewhat of a high note, he seemed to really fit yeah. in well with a lot of the Sabres players. So that I'm sure that's somebody that, you know, in the future, the, the Sabres are going to uh, try to hold on to as much as they can, but going back to the Taylor Hall trade, my question to you, Andrew, is this, did you feel pretty confident prior to the deadline that the Bruins were going to end up acquiring Taylor Hall? Um, and then also the second part of the question is that in your evaluation, how do you think Taylor Hall fit in? this entire year with the Boston Bruins. So the first part of your question, did I think that we were going to get Taylor Hall? Absolutely not. And the reason I say (laughs) that is because we don't tend to make a big splash in free agency. Most of the, not free agency, sorry, trade deadlines. Most of the time. I mean, we've picked up some players over the past few years, but you know, I, I, I hate to say it, but a lot of them are sort of past their prime at that point. You know, you get Rick Nash in a, in a trade deadline that really he didn't do anything. If you had Rick Nash five years prior to that, then we're really talking about a major mix up there or a major, you know, shakeup. So, no, I didn't think that we were going to get Taylor Hall, but I was hopeful. I mean, I think all of us as Bruins fans were hopeful because there was some some speculation in the offseason that he was going to come here. And then it kind of sort of came out after the fact that, you know, it was kind of Boston was absolutely on his radar during the free agency and during the offseason to potentially come here. Right. And personally, of course, I wish that he had come here earlier because I think <laughs> that to go into your second question here, he really started to gel with with that second line with Krejci and Craig Smith, and he did a really good job of fitting in sort of seamlessly. You know, his first few games, he I think, you know, he scored a handful of goals over the first 10 games, and right. you know, he did a really good job of just fitting into that team, and it, it went a long way with him basically saying – um, you know, I want to be a piece. I don't want to be the guy. Sort of in, in Buffalo, especially when Eichel went down, he was the guy, right? right. So right. same type of thing with when he was in New Jersey where absolutely he came in and everybody expected him to be this second coming of all these star players. And, and uh, I mean, he was. He, he won the Hart Trophy, and that was a big deal. And he had an incredible, uh, you know, tenure out there for what when he was there. Mm-hmm. But – 
I think that coming to Boston, it really showed that this is somewhere that he wants to be. And it showed that he can um, really just fit in as a piece and help a team and contribute to a team instead of having all that pressure of being the number one guy, you know? No, I could, I could totally understand that. I remember, you know, when we go back to last free agency and he signed with Buffalo it was kind of a, it was kind of a head scratching move at the time because it felt like that, you know, considering what he was talking about, he wanted to go somewhere where he could win. And he also wanted to make a decent amount of money. Now, to be fair, I think that was more his agent talking than really Taylor Hall himself, but you know, it is what it is. Um, you know, but he ended up going to Boston and, you know, we knew from a lot of the things he said, I remember he was on, um, he was on Barstool, I think a couple of years ago. And he talked about even then wanted to be a Boston Bruins. So yeah. it's see, it definitely seemed like this was a place that he really wanted to be. Um, and I think looking at his next contract, I do think that he's going to have to be a little bit generous with the Bruins, knowing some of the other things they're going to have to work out. You know, obviously trying to figure out whether or not uh, Tuka Rask is going to continue to play. Uh, they do have a couple other UFAs like David Krejci. I think that's going to be an important one yep. to look at. You got Sean Corrali, who's an unrestricted free agent. They may, they may let him go. They may keep him. I'm not sure. Um, and, you know, I, I think the next question that I, I have for you, Andrew, is this. You look at how the Bruins finished the year. Somewhat disappointing, I think a lot of Bruins fans would say. In, in your opinion, because um, I, I kind of compare Boston a little bit to Toronto, where it's like, well, what exactly? Well, I, I know that's <laughs> not what you want to hear, but you think about it. What exactly do the Bruins have to do at this point to be able to go win a cup? Because you know, you look at it a couple of years ago. They lost in game seven of the finals to St. Louis. Um, and, and this year, obviously, they had, again, high expectations. And they, they have one of the most balanced teams in the NHL. Um, in your opinion, like what exactly needs to change or does anything need to change moving forward for this team to take it to that level of winning a Stanley Cup? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that there's two major things, in my opinion, that the, the Bruins desperately need to address in the offseason, and that is... Um, additional defensive help because Charlie McAvoy is turning into that star defenseman in this league. You know, he's going to be one of those top guys for years to come, mm -hmm. but he can't do it all. I mean, the kid's already playing somewhere between 20 and 30 minutes a night. Right. And of course he's young and he has the ability to do that, but it does catch up to you and especially catches up to you at the end of the season. And um, I think that they really need to help on the defensive end. And now I don't know if that necessarily means they need to get somebody like, uh, Oliver Ekman Larson, like they were talking about in the offseason last year, because that's a huge amount of money for one guy where I think that they could balance out their defensive core a little bit better than spending it all on one, right. one player. So that's a major thing that I think that they need. And the other thing is um, physicality, because we're, we're, we can be a physical team if we need to be, mm -hmm. but not enough to, to hang with these other teams. Because the reason I say that, specifically is we got bullied out of the cup in 2019 by the blues. I right. mean, they, they outmuscled us and that's why the, that's why they won. I mean, they, they beat us fair and square. I'm not going to say that, you know, they're, I'm not going to try to make excuses, but if we were more tough, kind of like they were in 2011, that, that series goes a lot different. So same thing kind of happened this year with the Islanders. We started getting bullied into, um, injuries and bullied into to situations that we could have avoided with some more physicality. 
um, on the lower, you know, the bottom six line or the bottom six um, forwards. So I think that that's something that they desperately need to address because although everybody says that this league is going speed and finesse, I don't think that that's entirely true. I mean, obviously, again, you look at teams like the Islanders and the Blues and and a lot of these teams, Vegas, they have tough guys on their team that can really step in when necessary. And I think that, unfortunately, losing Zdeno Chara the way that it happened and the way that the situation was, I think that he could have really helped with that aspect of the game in the postseason as well, as he always did in the past. So, you know, I think that they need to go after a player that, not necessarily these guys exactly, but a, a type of player, you know, like a Matt Martin or a, um, mm. a Ryan Reeves, somebody that can be that guy that when it's necessary, they can go out there and play physical, but still contribute to the team in a sense as well. Yeah. No, I can, I can definitely understand that because, you know, when you're in a position and obviously, you know, the team that I cover is not in that position at the moment, but when you have a team like Boston does where, they're balanced on, on all phases, you know, offensively, defensively, goaltending has been really good. And then, you know, once again, disappointment, you kind of start to wonder, like, is it just like one of those cases where you just got to bring it back and just do it again? Or do you have to add some things? And, and I'm glad you brought up Zdeno Char because that was something that I didn't have a chance to really talk to any people from Boston about. Um, in, in your opinion, what were some of the reasons as to why the Bruins either did not decide to bring Chara back or that Chara did not want to come back to Boston and take us through kind of that whole situation that that was. Cause I remember I was like stunned when Chara was like, Oh, I'm, I'm signing with the Capitals. I was yeah. like, that kind of came out of nowhere. Cause right. I knew that he was struggling a little bit to figure out what he wanted to do moving forward but I thought he would just finish his whole career at Boston but can you kind of take us through you know your evaluation of that whole situation sure so from my understanding it was you know if you look at the contract it clearly wasn't about money he didn't even make a million dollars this year um salary based I don't know what he made off incentives or or bonuses or whatever Mm -hmm. it was and but looking at strictly his his salary hit he made I think it was 725,000 which you know to, to you and I, that's a lot of money, but to right. a hockey player, to a professional sports athlete, that's basically nothing. Right. They have plenty of money to spend on their players. And that's a, like, especially your captain, your, your leadership guy. Um, it's, it didn't come down to money. So from what I understood from what I was reading and, and what I've heard is that, you know, basically they want McAvoy to be that number one. And they never truly felt like that was going to, the transition was going to happen if Chara was here. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, that's sort of an unfair thing because throughout this season, we desperately, you know, we had a lot of injuries. We could have used Chara for sure. And I think that they had told him basically, if we do re-sign you, you're going to be playing a lower, you're going to be playing, you know, somewhere between eight to 12 minutes a night, which to him, he feels that he can still contribute to a team. He can really help the team out, which he showed in Washington. He had a great year. He played a ton of minutes. He ate up a lot of time. Right. You know, he does very well on the penalty kill. Um, so so we desperately missed that when, when he was gone. And I think that, again, it didn't come down to money. It didn't come down to any of that. It just was, I feel like I can really help a team. And I'm going to go to a team that wants me to be there for a lot of time, or for, for a lot of playing time. And, and playing that, time, right. Yeah, and that thinks that I can really help them out. And I think that that's what, you know, he went to Washington, who was a contender, who... Right 
he played well for them and they needed him and it worked out well. And I, I just, I would have loved to have seen him retire as a Bruin. Um, and I think that one year would have done it. I don't think that he's going to go and play for somebody else because his family still lives in Boston. He right. spent almost the entire season away from his family until we played them in the playoffs or, or I'm sure I don't even know if he was allowed to see them when they came here for the regular season. So, um, you know, it, it's tough for him because I know he's a family guy and I just, I don't see him going anywhere else to play, um, you know, further away from his family again. And I, I think that he was really hoping to go out on top this year, whether it was with Boston or with uh, Washington going to the finals or whatever, but yep. um, it was unfortunate. I mean, I think all the Bruins fans that, that are true fans that have been for a long time really didn't want to see it go down that way. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was very, I'll tell you, it was very weird seeing him in another Jersey playing against him. Uh, obviously we saw it prior to the Bruins and it didn't mean as much to us then because we didn't have the history and right. You know, going to his first game back with fans, wh whether it was limited capacity or not, it was still, you know, it was a great experience. And I thought, I think, it's going to be a lot better when he gets to have that full house and really when they, cause th there's no question that they're going to retire his number at some point. I mean, he's a hall of famer in, it, in itself. Oh, yeah. and, um, you know, I can't wait for that day. Yeah. I mean, you, you brought up a lot of very, very good points. Um, you know, I, I kind of compare it a little bit to when Martin Brodeur left New Jersey and ended up going to St. Louis for seven games. It was just a very yeah. <laughs> weird experience. It, it, it certainly was a strange experience to see him in just a completely different uniform. And yeah. know, I'm sure it was a very interesting, you know, time for the Bruins and Sedano himself when the two teams met up in the playoffs. It almost seemed like it was divine intervention that those two teams were going to meet up in the playoffs at some point. And I think that that was, I just don't think it was that much of a surprise. And I'm sure it was very difficult for Chara to have to, you know, shake hands with his former teammates and really, and have to kind of settle that. And I, and I remember him talking about how he's really going to take as much time as he needs this offseason to evaluate what he wants to do moving forward. Um, I personally feel like that uh, he could still play in the league, but I, again, I don't see how the Bruins would then now decide to give him what he wants, but crazier yeah. things have happened. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what Char decides moving forward. Now, a couple of other interesting storylines, one of them actually involves the Devils and Bruins to an extent, and we'll talk about that one first, is the possibility of Jake DeBrusque being moved. And I've heard a lot of different things. I remember when the Devils were in the process of trading away Kyle Palmieri, that the Bruins were very much interested in Palmieri. And a lot of people said that, oh, well, the Devils should ask the Bruins for Jake DeBrusque back. And I said, that would be great. It's just that most likely the Bruins would see Palmieri as a rental, not necessarily somebody that they'd have after this year, other, you know, comparatively to what Taylor Hall did. In Boston, but I knew I know the type of player Jake DeBrusque is, and this is kind of a two-part question, Adrian. My first question is: Is it really a salary cap thing as to why Jake DeBrusque's name has been shipped around a lot? And number two, do you expect Jake DeBrusque to be a Boston Bruin next season? No, I I don't. Well, okay. So the first part is I don't think that it's a salary cap issue. I think that it's a performance issue. Jake DeBrusque has basically gotten every opportunity to, to succeed and he's had one very solid season and the rest have been oh, fine, you know? Right. So I think that it's, it's a performance issue with 
He's had all of the opportunities. He's played with Bergeron and Marshan. He's played with Pasta and Krejci. He's played, you know, he's played on very good um, lines. He's given, he's been given all those opportunities and he never seems to, um, f- from my perspective on watching him, it's, it's been so up and down. You know, there's a lot of times where he's very good and there's a lot of times where he's non-existent altogether. So I think, you know, I've also heard in the past that he may have some conditioning issues. And what I mean by that is, I guess he loves Oreos and he's obsessed with junk food. So kind of hard to be a professional athlete when you're obsessed with junk food. And, and, uh, you know, I don't know that that's true. It's just speculation of what I've heard. So uh, he's, he has a lot of talent and that's what I think is so frustrating about him is because everybody wants him to be so good. He's a fan favorite. Everybody loves him. Um, He's just so up and down and you want to see the consistency there and it's just not there. You know, he was he was a healthy scratch a handful of times this year, and that's never a good sign for a player who's supposed to be a, a twenty to thirty goal scorer. You shouldn't be getting scratched that often, right? Um, so, I there's it's complicated as far as do I think that he'll be on the Bruins next year? Uh, it's it's yes and no for me because I think that it really depends on does he get taken by Seattle. Mm. Or, or does he get packaged into a trade for maybe something? Because he does have a lot of value. I, I will right. say that. And, and it's tough because I like him a lot. Right. But I think that if he does have the value, you can fill his spot with somebody else fairly easily with the way that he's been playing, especially if you get the opportunity to re-sign Taylor Hall. Because right. he was spending a lot of time on the second line for a handful of the last couple seasons or, or a lot of the last couple seasons. And I think that if you re-sign Taylor Hall, that kind of fills that void there. And you can use Jake DeBrusque to help you strengthen the back end or right. whatever is necessary. So if he doesn't get taken by Seattle, I could see him being used in a trade just because he does have value. But right. it would have to be, it would have to make sense really, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can totally understand that. Uh, you know, the, the Devils haven't been specifically, um, you know, rumored around with Jake DeBrusque. I just, I've had a lot of Devils fans and, and people that I speak to a lot in my own sources that have asked me, you know, you know, does that, you know, that getting Jake DeBrusque would be great. And I said, yeah, but that's why I was kind of asking you about what is his situation because it's 23, 24 years of age with, but you know, he's not making a whole lot of money. I mean, $3.65 million dollars you know, for next season, then he's a restricted free agent. You know, you look at that and you say, well, what's the catch here? And you kind of brought up some really good points about it. And that's the same thing when you look at a guy like Matthew Kachuk that may be on the move this offseason. It's, it's yeah. like, okay, he's an RFA the next year. What is the catch here? Why is it that Calgary wants to trade him, you know, or why is it that Matthew Kachuk wants out of Calgary? And it's kind of one of those things. Um, you know, I look at Debruska's, does he need a change of scenery? Well, it's tough to say with him being as young as he is as to whether or not he does or not. I mean, it's, you know, I, it's, it was easier with Taylor Hall to figure out he just needed to get out of Buffalo for him to be fine. And right, that, right. he proved that one, because the second he got out of Buffalo, he was already playing at a much, much higher level, not having to be the main guy. Now, the next guy that kind of comes up and he's going to have to be arguably one of the top three biggest storylines this offseason is the future of Tuka Rask. Now Rask had a solid year to say the least. I mean, it was a, it was a Rask year that I think a lot of Bruins fans 
have come to expect over the last couple of years. And now he's an unrestricted free agent. And I think the first signs, Andrew, and I don't know if you would agree, but I feel like the first signs of him starting to contemplate uh, how much longer he has in the league was what happened to him in the bubble, which I will say right off the bat, I was really upset that a lot of fans gave him so much flack for doing what he did when I don't think a lot of us realized how difficult it really was for everybody to be in the bubble last year. And I, and I hope that we never have to do something like that ever again, because that was very difficult for the players, but you look at now he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. Some people are saying, Oh, would he go to another team? I don't think so. He even said it in his end of the season press conference that he honestly doesn't want to go anywhere, but Boston, he wants to stay here. Do you expect, I mean, this is, this sounds kind of ridiculous, but do you expect the Bruins to make absolutely positively sure that Rask will remain a Bruin the rest of his career? And so what type of contract do you see the Bruins being satisfied with giving him knowing his age and where he is in his career? So that's that's another one of those loaded questions because there's a lot of there's a lot of like that's what we do here at the Devil State of My Podcast. <laughs> we give our guests loaded, detailed questions. No, it's great. I, I love it. So so there's a lot to to unpack with Tuka Rask because you know, of course, there's a lot of hate around Tuka with he's never won a cup. I mean, he won the cup behind Tim Thomas, but he's never won his own cup. He's been there twice. He's kind of uh, you know let people down a lot. And and I think that he gets a lot of hate. That's not necessarily, um, it shouldn't, he shouldn't get as much as he gets. Now I'm not the world's biggest Tuca fan. I don't dislike him, but I'm not like, I'm not a super fan, you know? So I think that he's an amazing goalie. Uh, he, he has never unfortunately won the cup on his own 2019. I don't put on him because there was tons of times where, you know, we he actually won some series for us with this play. So right. game seven, I put that on the entire team. And I think that the the Bruins, of course, want to keep him. He's an elite goaltender in this league as it stands right now. Right. And I think that they want to keep him. But there is some issues with his contract situation and 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 how long he has left in the league. I mean, right now, even if they were to re-sign him today, He's not able to play until at least January or February because he's getting an off-season surgery that's going right. to take that long to recover. So it's tough because you also have to look at this guy's getting up there in age for a goaltender. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, is, is this injury going to be something that hinders his play moving forward? You know, how, how, that also has to be something you look into when you give him a contract. I don't personally see them giving him something past two to three years. Right. Uh, I think it's going to be short term. I think it would be crazy to be otherwise, especially because they seem to have their next number one in the backup in Swayman. And I think that that might be a year or two out, who knows, but he played very well this year uh, for the the handful of games that he did play. I think it was something like 10 games or, um, but he played very well. And I think that it's a good sign for the future. So I don't see them giving Tuca a long-term deal. And I don't really think that Tuca wants to play that long anyway. I think that he wants to play one, two, maybe three years max. And mm-hmm. I know that he wants to be in Boston. He said he's not going to play for someone else. And I think that he would have no problem walking away from hockey. He's made tons of money. Right. He's done He's done it all except for win the cup as the starter. He won the, his names on the cup as a backup. But, you know, he's done it all. He's won the Vesna, all that stuff. So um, 
I could see him walking away from the game as well if it doesn't play out the way that both sides want it to play out. Right. Um, but I think that it's really going to come down to this injury thing as well. Like if he yeah. goes through this this recovery and it's not as easy as he thought it would be or he doesn't feel as good coming back off of it, I don't know that he will continue to play. Yeah, I um, think I think you bring up a lot of good points. Yeah, it's just going to be interesting. I mean, that that's one of the big, like you said, the big things that everyone's going to be looking at during the offseason of whether he's going to continue to play, whether he retires, whether they resign him, because right now he makes so much money right. for for if you look at the contracts on the Bruins, him and Krejci, they make so much money that now that they're free agents, it could really help this Bruins team with if they are going to resign them. Maybe they get two for basically the price of one contract now, because I believe Krejci's contract was somewhere around seven million and Tuca was at least that as well. Yeah, so, David Krejci was $7.25 million yeah. and Tuco was exactly $7 million. Right. So maybe for, you know, next year you get essentially two for the price of one, whether you give Tuca four and Krejci three or whatever mm. it is that, that gets the, the deal done. Yep. Um, I'm just giving general numbers out there, but, right. you know, I think that that's going to free up some space in other places that we desperately need to address. And uh, yeah, I'm hope I'm hopeful that Tuca can, figure it out and and get back to full health because when he is and when he's on he's very good especially when he doesn't have a huge workload you Mm -hmm. know we've noticed it a lot in 2013 we went to the finals and that was the year that you know Tuca really played out of his mind and and he didn't have a ton of game like games behind him he was uh he Mm -hmm. put they played less time because the lockout and split some time and same thing with 2019 he kind of split a lot of time with Halak and uh, it really was beneficial to him. So maybe coming right. into the season late is good, but I don't know. Only time will tell really. Yeah. Only time will tell. And and I think goaltending in general for the Bruins is very fascinating because they also have Yaroslav Halak who will be an unrestricted free agent. And then they have the young goaltender that a lot of people have been talking about. It's Jeremy Swayman. And yeah. I think that that's something to keep in mind because it looks like, it looks like Jeremy Swayman could be, the, the future franchise goaltender for this Bruins team. And I think that takes into consideration when it comes to figuring out what they want to do with Tuka Rask in particular. Um, just really quick, um, two more questions for you. And again, Andrew, thank you so much for doing this, man. We really, really appreciate it. My, my second question again is involving goaltending. Just right off the bat, do you honestly expect the Bruins to try to keep Yaroslav Halak, or do you think because of the way Jeremy Swayman played this year that it's easier now for the Bruins to just allow him to go into free agency? Well, the, the issue here is, is again, Tuka Rask, because say you decide that Swayman is your number one next year going into the season, you still need mm. a backup. Right. So I think that you can get Halak on very cheap money, and he's an amazing backup goaltender. He's not a starter. Everybody gets mad when he ends up having to take on a bigger workload, for instance, the bubble last year, and and he doesn't show that he's a star number one goaltender because he's not. And he he's not claiming to be that anymore. He's done that in his in you know in the previous years of his career. And I think that you know you're not gonna get a better backup for cheap money right now than Halak if that is your option going into say October to January or February. Right. Um, so I think that it, it's really all going to depend on their conversations with Tuca, how they see that going in the future, 
and that will lead to the decision on whether or not they resign Halak, or who knows, maybe somebody snags him beforehand. Yeah. Um, but again, it, it's it's tough because it's so early in the off season where, I mean, the NHL season hasn't even ended yet, but right. Um, it's so early before the expansion draft, before the regular draft, that you never know what's going to happen. And I think that you know we could be having a completely different conversation in a month or two months. Right. Yeah. It's no. It's a very good point, and I remember. I did an episode a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about potential free agent, you know, you know, targets for the Devils. We we obviously know that goaltending, backup goaltending, is going to be a big thing for us because we are once again in the market for one. And I had mentioned Locke is possibly an option because of the things you said. You know, he's a very he's a very solid backup goaltender, yeah. and I mean, it doesn't hurt for him to come to a team that he actually hasn't beaten in two years. So, I mean, you can have that type of situation. And I thought that that was kind of a funny statistic when they showed it, that for some reason, very similar to the Bruins just this year, Halak doesn't do that well against the Devils. I don't know why it is. And it doesn't matter whether he was in Boston, the Islanders, Montreal. He's struggled a lot against the Devils. So I kind of look at it like, well, if he feels like coming to coming here, we would be totally fine with that because we're in the market for probably a guy for one or two years. And I think a could be that guy, but it's going to be, I feel like goaltending out of everything is going to be the most interesting thing for the Bruins. And I think that, and, and I don't know if you would agree, Andrew, but I feel like that's going to be first priority and then Taylor Hall. That's interesting. That's an interesting take because I mean, I, I guess you're probably right, because but it really is going to depend on – I mean, it sounds like Tuca wants to continue to play, but how how long can they wait for that injury to be fixed and to be healed for him to come back? You know, you could be completely out of it by January. Right. You know, so if they decide that they're not going to resign Halak, they're going to go with the younger guys – if they don't pan out the way that everybody anticipated they would, then we could be looking at another waste of Patrice Bergeron's, you know, final years. I mean, realistically, he's getting up to the end of his career here. And right. I think that they really need to decide what it's going to be with um, the whole team in general. But I mean, with goaltending, it, you're taking a huge risk by, um, by not really having a game plan played out with a solid backup in case you're, your number one rookie goaltender doesn't turn out the way that you want it to. So I think that, yeah, goaltending is going to be a very key thing for them, but uh, I don't know how they're going to go about it. And for those reasons are why I would never want to be a GM in, in any league. It's a, it's a very, very difficult job. And the Bruins certainly have uh, some very, very uh, interesting decisions that they're going to have to make. And they are certainly going to have, a very busy offseason like the rest of us. Andrew, before I let you go, man, as I do with all my guests, I give them the opportunity to tell the folks at home where they can follow them, check them out, and uh, any exciting projects you got going on with the podcast. So, Andrew, the floor is yours, my friend. Yeah, like like I said at the beginning, man, thank you for having me on. This was super fun. And I, I'm glad that I got to do this. And we, like you said, we've been talking a little bit here and there over the last couple months about hockey and and I'm sure we'll be continuing that moving forward. And yeah, like you said, too, at the beginning, I run a podcast called the Balcony Chatter Podcast, where we talk about Bruins. We talk about Celtics mostly. Um, and the Celtics just got their uh, their new head coach. The Celtics today. did just sign a new yeah, head took, coach. Took so him, 
took him from my favorite team, but that's okay. Oh man. I'm just getting kicked. <laughs> I'm just getting kicked more and more in the groin these past couple of days, but that's okay. Hey, it's <laughs> early in the off season. You never know what might happen. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, as long as Mike, as long as Mike D'Antoni leaves, I'll be happy. <laughs> I'll be happy. I'm done with the small ball. I'm, I'm so done with small ball. I, I just, you know, I, I, I love to see what, what happens over the next couple months because there's so much that could potentially go. And if for some reason uh, the Bruins do decide to make a trade to the New Jersey Devils with Jake DeBrusque involved, there's a player on the Devils that I absolutely hate. And, oh, yeah? and I will tell you who it is. <laughs> and then I will explain why. And his name, his name is Miles Wood. Oh, I do see. I had a feeling you were going to say Miles Wood because when, when people say hate, that's the first player that comes up. But let me explain to you why I hate him. Because he's such a pain in the ass and he's yep. so hard to like, he's always in people's face. He's aggressive. He's, he's a good player. He's a, he's a great player. I should say, Yeah. you know, he's that tough guy that I think that would, he would be great on the Boston Bruins. And for those reasons, I want them to trade Jake DeBrusque over there and somehow pluck miles wood and bring him to boston because we're just trying to collect the most hated players in the league and i know we got marshan already is well, you gotta get tom wilson one. then if you're, if you're going hated players you gotta find a way to get tom wilson that's true so maybe we'll get kachuk we'll get tom wilson we'll tom get miles wood yeah they'll be the big bad bruins once again yeah exactly so <laughs> I, I don't blame I, honestly i don't blame you for not liking miles wood most people in the nhl don't like miles wood um i didn't even like miles wood for the first couple of years he was here i was Pleasantly surprised by his season this year. I did not expect him to end up being tied for the team leading goals and be as consistent as he is, but I feel like he took a bigger step this season when it comes to his development. And it'll be interesting to see what the Devils decide to do with him, whether they, you know, if they protect him in the expansion draft or do they make him available, like you mentioned, uh, via trade. But I don't expect the Devils to move him unless the deal makes sense. And maybe for a guy like Jake DeBrusque, it would make sense, but it all depends on what else they would give, but, but I, again, I, I have one other bone to pick with, with the New Jersey devils. And I think, I don't know if, if devils fans <laughs> feel the same, uh, but I feel like I should throw it out there as a GM. You should be looking to move miles wood because for, mm. as a fan, as, as a fan of another team watching the devils and trying to keep track, you have too many players on your team with wood in the name. You have Mackenzie oh, Blackwood, go. you got Wedgwood, <laughs> you got miles wood. It's enough. Yeah, just get him out of there. Send him to Boston. We'll take him. It's fine. Well, we also, I mean, I don't think Scott Wedgwood will be back next season, so <laughs> we don't have to worry about that. But uh, I think if you had told me a year ago the Devils should trade Miles Wood, I would probably agree with you because of again how he hadn't really lived up to what I think a lot of people expected of him, and now with the way he played this past year, it makes it a little bit more difficult on Tom Fitzgerald to move him but again if they're if the right deal is in place if there's a move that the devils can make to to get a good a good impact player for a guy like wood i think the devils will do it but because of how young we are and considering yeah. he's one of the older players on the team which is not really saying very much um it, it's going to be a lot more difficult but but we'll see but we'll see but i i appreciate that other teams out there do not like miles wood because <laughs> it's very understandable and we love when Wood banks the body because we know how annoying he can get um, with other Absolutely. teams. Particularly, if I remember correctly, David Krejci in particular does not like Miles Wood. I that is do, correct. I do remember Krejci had a few words to say to Wood in one of the games this year. I, I think it was that one nothing. It was that it was that game that Blackwood made that crazy save 
on national TV where they reviewed it. They said it was no goal. Um, and that was kind of, I remember like Miles Wood was really getting into it at that point, but that's Miles Wood for you. And he's not going to change anytime soon. So I think the toothless wonder, the toothless wonder, 100%. But again, Andrew, just let the folks at home know, you know, what else you got going on and where they can find you and everything. You can find me on, uh, you can find balcony chatter on Instagram, on Twitter, um, uh, or on Facebook as well. Uh, we're pretty active on Instagram. I would say the most we have, we have recently found our way onto TikTok. Um, <laughs> it makes me feel awesome. more like a boomer than I ever have before. Trust but it's me, fun. I, I feel, I feel the same way and I'm 24. Yeah. It, it's a good time, man. It's fun. It, you know, getting to interact with people and put up stupid videos and memes and all that stuff. Like just, just for fun to get a little bit different content out there rather than just the Instagram and Twitter stuff where it's a little bit more serious sometimes. Uh, so we went into that too. Uh, so yeah, you can find us on all those, all those platforms and follow us and we could talk about how miles wood's going to come to Boston, how Jake Nebraska <laughs> is potentially going to get traded out there. And if you guys get Dougie Hamilton, potentially I'll send you some, uh, some Muppet beaker memes as well. So. <laughs> well, that'll be very interesting. I know the devils are certainly very much interested in Dougie Hamilton and we'll see how things progress moving forward. But Andrew, thank you so much, man, for coming on today. We really appreciate it. And we will definitely have you back on especially when the Devils play the Bruins again next season. Uh, Absolutely. We're, we're really looking forward to it, man. And uh, if you're ever in the, uh, if you're ever at the Prudential Center again, man, let me know and uh, we'll, we'll meet up. But thank you so much, man, for doing this. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. I can't wait to talk again. And I will absolutely have you on Balcony Chatter as well. We'll talk some Bruins and Devils and, uh, and I will be out to the Prudential Center for sure next season. I go out at least once a year. Uh, it's probably my favorite stadium that I've been to so far. And I've probably been to over 10. Uh, <laughs> so it's a good time every year. It's a short drive for me from, from Boston area. So uh, we'll definitely meet up and, and yeah. go Bruins. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would respond with that with go devils, but yeah. I'll, right. uh, and I'll definitely be going out to Boston at some point. I've actually never been to the TD garden, but I'm, I'm very interested to, uh, to go out there and especially when the devils and or the nets, just happen to be in town. I will. Uh, Let's will make it happen. I will we'll definitely make it happen. But thank you so much, Andrew. We appreciate it. Thank you, man. What's going on, Devils fans? It's your host, Neil Villapiano. Thank you so much for checking out this edition of the Devils State of Mind podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network, the best place to get the most up-to-date news about your New Jersey Devils. If you want to check out more of the podcast, here's what you do. You go wherever you listen to podcasts, so that could be Spotify, that could be iTunes, that could be Google Podcasts, you know, wh wherever you listen to podcasts, you go and you search Devil's State of Mind, and you will find the new episodes that we post every week on both Mondays and Thursdays. Please also go check out the Hockey Podcast Network as a whole. We have podcasts for all the teams in the NHL, as well as other great hockey podcasts, so just like with Devil's State of Mind, just search Hockey Podcast Network and you can see all the podcasts that we have on this great network. You can follow the Devil's State of Mind on social media. You can follow us on Twitter at Devil's State and you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Devil's State of Mind. Make sure to also follow the Hockey Podcast Network on all social media platforms. Just search at H-O-C-K-E-Y, Hockey 
P-O-D-P-O-D-N-E-T, net. If you want to listen to more of my voice, go like and subscribe to the Mofobo Network Sports Podcast, where I talk about all things going on in the wide world of sports. New episodes go out every Monday and Thursday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, go like and subscribe to the Mofobo Network Sports Presents channel on YouTube, where just like the podcast, I talk about different topics that are going on in the world of sports as well. New videos go out every single Tuesday on YouTube. So it's spelled M-O-F-O-B-O Network Presents, and you will find it. Again, new videos out every Tuesday. You can stay up to date with all the new episodes and videos by following me on my personal Twitter at T-H-E-N-V-P-S-H-O-W, my personal Instagram at N-V-P-Q-B-11, and also Mofobo Network on Facebook. And last, but certainly not least, go check out both my books on Amazon and Barnes and Noble right now. The first is J-E-T-S, Pain, 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 The Agony and the Ecstasy, Nah, no ecstasy of being a Jets fan. This book is about all the pain and suffering of being a New York Jets fan. So from all the painful moves, painful games, painful player decisions, painful ownership decisions, you know, where, you know anything we could think of, it's in this book. So this is really for the Jets fan. So if you're a Jets fan, a football fan, if you know someone, one of those, or if you just want to support me, go check out that book. The other book that I just published recently is titled Meet the Mets Mess, the R-E-G-R-E-T-S of New York Town. This one is all about the regrets of being a Mets fan. And even through world championships in 1969 and 1986, there was so much regret between those years, between those years, as well as the years following 1986. Both of these books, are available for both hardcover and ebook for the price of 1969. So if you're a Jets fan or a Mets fan, or by some chance you're both, you probably guessed why I chose that price. So again, please go check out both of those books. The first one, J-E-T-S, Pain, 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 The Pain and Suffering of Being a New York Jets Fan, and also Meet the Mets Mess, the R-E-G-R-E-T-S of New York Town. So once again, thank you guys so much for checking out this edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast. My name is Neil Villapiano, and we will see you in the next episode. Everyone continue to be the amazing people that you are, you know, every single day. You know, always remember to just be yourself and continue to kick absolute butt. And one last thing, rock on. Woo!